Chapter twenty eight of the Unclassed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Susan Smith Nash, Tulsa, Oklahoma. The Unclassed by George Robert Gissing. Chapter twenty eight. Slimy's Day. Waymark had written to Ida just after her imprisonment began, a few words of such comfort as he could send. No answer came. Perhaps the prison rules prevented it. When the term was drawing to a close, he wrote again to let her know that he would meet her on the morning of her release. It would be on a Tuesday morning. As the time drew near, Waymark did his best to think of the matter quietly. The girl had no one else to help her. It would have been a brutality to withdraw and leave her to her fate, merely because he just a little feared the effect upon himself of such a meeting. And the feeling on her side? Well, that he could not pretend to be ignorant of, and, in spite of everything, there was still the same half-acknowledged pleasure in the thought. He tried to persuade himself that he should have the moral courage to let her as soon as possible understand his new position. He also tried to believe that this would not involve any serious shock to Ida. For all that, he knew only too well that man is ein erbarmlicher Schuft, and there was always the possibility that he might say nothing of what had happened, and let things take their course. On the Monday morning he was already looking forward to the meeting with restlessness. Could he have foreseen that anything would occur to prevent his keeping his promise, it would have caused him extreme anxiety, but such a possibility never entered his thoughts, and shortly before midday he went down to collect his rents, as usual. The effect of a hard winter was seen in the decrease of the collector's weekly receipts. The misery of cold and starvation was growing familiar to Waymark's eyes, and scarcely excited the same feelings as formerly, yet there were some cases in which he had not the heart to press for the payment of rent, and his representations to Mr. Woodstock on behalf of the poor creatures were more frequently successful than in former times. Still, in the absence of ideal philanthropy, there was nothing for it every now and then but eviction, and Waymark more than once knew what it was to be cursed to his face by suffering wretches whom despair made incapable of discrimination. Where are we to go? was the oft-repeated question and the only reply was a shrug of the shoulders. Impossible to express oneself otherwise, they clung desperately to habitations so vile that brutes would have forsaken them for cleaner and warmer retreats in archway and by roadside. One family of seven, a man and wife both ill with five children, could not be got out, even when a man had been sent by Mr. Woodstock to remove the window frames and take the door away. Furniture 
having already been seized, only by force at length were they thrown into the street to find their way to perdition as best they might. Waymark did not relish all this. It cost him a dark hour now and then, but it was rich material. Every item was stored up for future use. Among others, the man named Slimy just managed to hold his footing. Times were hard with Slimy, that was clear. Still, he somehow contrived to keep no more than a fortnight behind with his rent. Waymark was studying this creature, and found in him the strangest matter for observation. In Slimy there were depths beyond Caliban, and at the same time curious points of contact with average humanity unexpectedly occurring. He was not ungrateful for the collector's frequent forbearance, and when able to speak coherently, tried at times to show this. Waymark had got into the habit of sitting with him in his room for a little time whenever he found him at home. Of late, Slimy had seemed not quite in his usual health. This exhibited itself much as it would in some repulsive animal which suffers in captivity and tries to find a remote corner when pain comes on. At times, Waymark experienced a certain fear in the man's presence. If ever he met the dull glare of that one bleared bloodshot eye, a chill ran through him for a moment, and he drew back a little. Personal uncleanliness made Slimy's proximity at all times unpleasant, and occasionally his gaunt, grimed face grew to an expression suggestive of disagreeable possibilities. On the present day, Waymark was told by a woman who lived on the ground floor that Slimy had gone out, but had left word with her in case the collector called that he should be back in less than half an hour. Doubtless this meant that the rent was not forthcoming. The people who lived on the first floor were out as usual, but had left their rent. Of the two rooms at the top, one was just now vacant. Waymark went on to the two or three houses that remained. On turning back, he met Slimy at the door. The man nodded in his wonted way, grinning like a grisly phantom, and beckoned Waymark to follow him upstairs. The woman below had closed her door again, and in all probability no one observed the two entering together. Waymark sat down amid the collection of nondescript articles which always filled the room, and waited for the tenant to produce his rent. Slimy seemed to have other things in mind. After closing the door, he, too, had taken a seat upon a heap of filthy sacking, and was running his fingers through the shock of black hair which made his beard. Waymark examined him. There was no sign of intoxication. 
but something was evidently working in the man's mind and his breath came quickly with a kind of asthmatic pant from between his thin lips still parted in the uncanny grin mr waymark he began at length well i ain't got no rent that's bad you're two weeks behind you know mr waymark a single eye fixed itself on waymark's face in a way which made the latter feel uncomfortable well i ain't a-gonna pay you no more rent nor yet no one else maybe how's that cause i ain't and cause i'm tired of paying rent i'm afraid you'll find it difficult to get on without though said waymark trying to get into the jocular tone he sometimes adopted with slimy but scarcely succeeding mr waymark there was clearly something wrong waymark rose to his feet slimy rose also and at the same time took up a heavy piece of wood looking like a piece of cart shaft which had lain on the floor beside him his exclamation elicited no answer and he spoke again hoarsely as always but with a calmness which contrasted strangely with the words he uttered do you believe in the devil and hell why returned waymark trying hard to command himself and to face down the man as a wild beast has been known to be outgazed cause by the devil himself as half of me before many weeks is over by the fires of hell as'll burn me if you stir a step or speak a word above your breath i'll bring you down just like they do to the bollocks you understand waymark saw that the threat was no idle one he could scarcely have spoken had he wished slimy grinned at the effect he had produced and continued in the same matter-of-fact way it takes you back a bit don't it never mind you'll get over it i don't mean you no harm mr waymark but i'll have to put you to a little ill convenience that's all see now here's a bit of stout rope this year i'm a-goin' just to tie you up and in the foot you see as i said before if you give me any trouble well i'll have to knock the senses out of you first that's all vain to think of grappling with this man whose strength waymark knew to be extraordinary for a moment the shock of alarm had deprived him of thought and power of movement but this passed and he was able to consider his position he looked keenly into slimy's face had the man gone mad his manner was scarcely consistent with that supposition as the alternative before him was of such kind waymark could but choose the lesser evil he allowed slimy to remove from his shoulders the satchel which contained the sums of money he had just collected it was quietly put aside 
Now, said Slimy, with the same deliberation, I have to ask you just to lie down on the floor, just here, see. It's better to lie down quiet than to be knocked down, you see. Waymark mentally agreed that it was. His behaviour might seem cowardly, but, to say nothing of the loathsomeness of a wrestle with Slimy, he knew very well that a struggle or a shout for help would mean his death. He hesitated, felt ashamed, but looked at Slimy's red eye and lay down, and taking the position indicated, he noticed that three very large iron hooks had been driven firmly into the floor in a triangular shape. Just beside the lower one of these, his feet had to rest. His head lay between the other two. Slimy now proceeded to bind his captive's feet together with strong cord, and then to attach them firmly to the hook. Then, bidding him to sit up for a moment, he made his hands fast behind his back. Lastly, Waymark being again recumbent, a rope was passed once round his neck, and each end of it firmly fastened to one of the remaining hooks. This was not a pleasant moment, but, the operation completed, Waymark found that, though he could not move his head an inch, there was no danger of strangulation as long as he remained quiet. In short, he was bound as effectually as a man could be, yet without much pain. The only question was how long he would have to remain thus. Slimy examined his work and nodded with satisfaction. Then he took up the satchel again, opened it, and for a few moments kept diving his long black fingers into the coins, whilst his face was transformed to an expression of grim joy. Presently, having satisfied himself with the feel of the money, he transferred it all to a pocket inside his ragged coat. Now, Mr. Waymark, he recommenced, seating himself on the chair Waymark had previously occupied, I ain't quite done with ill-conveniencing you. I'm sorry to say I have to just to put a bit of a gag on to prevent you from hollering out too soon. But before I do that, I've just got a word or two to say. Let's spend our last time together in a friendly way. In spite of his alarm, Waymark observed with astonishment the change which had come over the man's mode of speech. In all their previous intercourse, Slimy had shown himself barely articulate. For the most part, it was difficult to collect meaning from his grunts and snarls. His voice was still dreadfully husky, and indeed seemed unused to the task of uttering so many words. For all that, he spoke without hesitation, and with a reserve of force which made his utterances all the more impressive. Having bespoken his hearer's attention in this deliberate way, he became silent, and 
for a while sat brooding his fingers still busy among the coins in his pocket i don't rightly know how old i may be he began at length but it's most like about fifty we'll say fifty for fifty years i've lived in this world in all that time i can't remember not one single happy day not one i never knowed neither father nor mother i never knowed not a soul as belonged to me friends i ave had four of em and their names was brandy whiskey rum and gin but they've cost me a good deal and somehow they ain't quite what they used to be they used to make me merry for a while now and then but they taken now to burning up my inside and filling my head with devils and i'm getting afeard of them and they have they'll have to see me through to the end fifty year he resumed after another interval of brooding and not one happy day i was a-thinking it over to myself and says i what's the reason on it the reason is cause i ain't never had money money means happiness and them as never has money will never be happy live as long as they may well i went on saying to myself ain't i to ev not one happy day in all my life and it come to me all at once with a flash like that money was to be ed for the trouble of taking it money and happiness the bleared eye rolled with a sort of self-congratulation and the coins jingled more loudly a pound ain't no use nor yet two pound nor yet five pound and five pounds what i never ed in fifty year there's a good deal more than five pound here now mr wymark i've reckoned it up in my ed what do you think i'm a-going for to do with it he asked this question after a pause with his head bent forward his countenance screwed into the most hideous expression of cunning and gratified desire a going he said with the emphasis of a hoarse whisper i a going to drink myself dead that's what i'm a going to do mr waymark my four friends ain't what they used for to be cause i ain't got enough of em it's unsatisfaction that's what it is as brings the burnin in the inside and the devils 
and the aid. Now I've got money, and for once in my life I'll be satisfied and happy. And then I'll go where there's a real burning or real devils, and let em make the most of slimy. Waymark felt his blood chill with horror. For years after, the face of Slimy, as it thus glared at him, haunted him in dreamful nights. Dante saw nothing more fearful in any circle of hell. Well, I've said my say, Slimy remarked, rising from his seat, and now I'm sorry I'll to ill convenience you mr waymark you've behaved better to me than most has and i wouldn't pay you an ill convenience if i could help it but i must have time enough to get off clear i'll have just to keep you from allering this way say but i won't Hurt you. The nose is good enough for breathing. I'll see if someone comes to let you out before tomorrow morning. Now I'll say goodbye, Mr. Wymark. You won't see Slimy in this world again, and if I only knowed how to say a prayer, well, why, I'd pray as you mightn't never see him in the next with one more look a look at once of wild anticipation and friendly regret slimy disappeared the relief consequent upon the certainty that no worse could happen had brought waymark into a state of mind in which he could regard his position with equanimity the loss of the money seemed now to be the most serious result of the affair. Slimy had promised that release should come before the morning, and would doubtless keep his word. Waymark had a certain confidence in this, which a less interested person would perhaps have deemed scarcely warrantable. In the meantime, the discomfort was not extreme to lie gagged and bound on a garret floor for some few hours was after all a situation which a philosopher might patiently endure and to an artist it might well be suggestive of useful hints breathing to be sure was not easy but became more so by degrees but with the complete recollection of his faculties came back the thought of what was involved in the question of release before the following day. Early in the morning he had to be at the door of Tottle Fields' prison. How, if his release were delayed through Slimy's neglect or that of the agent he might employ? As the first hour passed slowly by, this became the chief anxiety in Waymark's mind. It made him forgetful of the aching in his arms caused by the binding together of his hands behind him, which left no room 
for anticipation of the other sufferings which would result of his being left thus for an indefinite period what would ida do if she came out and found no one to meet her his absence would make no one anxious at all events not till more than a day had gone by hitherto he had always taken his rents at once to mr woodstock's office but the old gentleman was not likely to be disturbed by his non-appearance it would be accounted for in some simple way and his coming expected on the following morning then it was as good as certain that no one would come to slimy's room and by the by had not there been a sound of the turning of a key when slimy took his departure he could not be quite sure of this just then he had noticed all things so imperfectly was it impossible to free a limb or to ungag his mouth he tried to turn his head but it was clear that throttling would be the only result of any such effort and the bonds on hands and feet were immovable no escape save by slimy's aid he determined not to face the possibility of slimy's failing in his word otherwise anxiety would make him desperate he recognized now for the first time fully how much it meant to him that meeting with ida the shock he had experienced on hearing her sentence and beholding her face as she left the court had not apparently produced lasting results his weakness surprised him when he looked back upon it in a day or two he had come to regard the event as finally severing him from ida in a certain calm ensuing hereupon led to the phase which ultimately brought him to maud once more but waymark's introspection was at fault he understood himself less in proportion as he felt that the ground was growing firmer under his feet even when he wrote the letter to the prison promising to meet ida he had acted as if out of mere humanity it needed a chance such as the present to open his eyes that she should quit the prison and not finding him wander away in blank misery and hopelessness most likely embittered by the thought that he had carelessly neglected to meet her and so driven to despair such a possibility was intolerable the fear of it began to goad him in flesh and spirit with a sudden violent stringing of all his sinews he wrenched at the bonds but only with the effect of exhausting himself and making the walls and ceiling reel before his eyes the attempt to utter cries resulted in nothing but muffled moaning then mastering himself once more he resolved to be patient slimy would not fail him he tried not to think of ida in any way but this was beyond his power again and again she came before his mind 
when he endeavoured to supplant her by the image of Maud Enderby, the latter's face only irritated him. Till now, it had been just the reverse. The thought of Maud had always brought quietness. Ida, he had recognised as the disturbing element of his life, and had learned to associate her with his least noble instincts. Thinking of this now, he began to marvel how it could have been so. Was it true that Maud was his good angel, that in her he had found his ideal? He had forced himself to believe this, now that he was in honour, bound to her, yet she had never made his pulse quicken, as it had often done when he had approached Ida. True, that warmth of feeling had come to represent merely a temptation to him, but was it not that the consequence of his own ambiguous attitude? Suppose he had not known Maud Enderby, how would he then have regarded Ida and his relations to her? Were these, in very deed, founded on nothing but selfish feeling? Then he reviewed all his acquaintanceship with her from the first, and every detail of the story grew to a new aspect. Suppose he had not known Maud Enderby, how would he then have regarded Ida and his relations to her? Were these, in very deed, founded on nothing but selfish feeling? Then he reviewed all his acquaintanceship with her from the first, and every detail of the story grew to a new aspect. Thinking of Ida, he found himself wondering how it was that Mr. Woodstock appeared to take so much interest in her fate. Several times during the last six months the old man had referred to her, generally inquiring whether Waymark written to or heard from her, and only two days ago he had shown that he remembered the exact date of her release, in asking whether Waymark meant to do anything. Waymark replying that he intended to meet her and give her what assistance he could, the old gentleman had signified his strong approval, and had even gone on to mention a house in the neighbourhood of the office where Ida could be lodged at first. A room had accordingly been secured beforehand, and it was arranged that Waymark should take her directly thither on the Tuesday morning. In reviewing all this, Waymark found it more significant than he had imagined. Why, he wondered, had Mr. Woodstock grown so philanthropic all at once? Why had he been so particular in making sure that Waymark would meet the girl? Indeed, from the very beginning of this affair, he had behaved with regard to it in a manner quite unlike himself. Waymark had leisure now to ponder these things, but could only conjecture explanations. The hours went by. A church clock kept him aware of their progress, the aching in his arms became severe. He suffered from cold. The floor was swept by a draught, which seemed strong and keen as a blast of east wind. It made his eyes smart, and he kept them closed, with some slight hope 
that this might also have the effect of inducing sleep sleep however held far aloof from him when he had wearied his brain with other thoughts his attention began to turn to sounds in the court below there just as it grew dusk some children were playing and he tried to get amusement from their games one of them was this a little girl would say to the rest i sent my daughter to the oil shop and the first thing she saw was c and the task was to guess for which article this initial stood carrots cried one but was laughed to scorn candles cried another and triumphed then there were games which consisted in the saying of strange incantations the children would go round and round as was evident from the sound of their feet chanting the while sally sally wallflower sprinkle in a pan rise sally wallflower and choose your young man choose for the fairest one choose for the best choose for the rarest one that you love the best upon this followed words and movements only half understood then at length broke out a sort of hymeneal chorus here stands a young couple just married and settled their father and mother they must obey they love one another like sister and brother so pray young couple come kiss together lastly laughter and screams and confusion this went on till it was quite dark pitch dark in slimy's room only the faintest reflection on a portion of the ceiling of lamplight from without waymark's sufferings became extreme the rope about his neck seemed to work itself tighter there were moments when he had to struggle for the scant breath which the gag allowed him he feared lest he should become insensible and so perhaps be suffocated his arms were entirely numbed he could not feel that he was lying on them surely slimy's emissary would come before midnight one two three four twelve how was it that he had lost count of all the hours since eight o'clock whether that had been sleep or insensibility waymark could not decide intensity of cold must have brought him back to consciousness his whole body seemed to be frozen his eyes ached insufferably continuous thought had somehow become an impossibility he knew that ida was constantly in his mind and her image clear at times in the dark before him but he could not think about her as he wished and tried to do who was it that seemed to come between her and him someone he knew yet could not identify then the hour sounded uncertainly some he appeared to have missed there at length was seven why this was morning 
and Slimy had promised that he should be set free before this. What was it that tortured his struggling brain so? A thought he strove in vain for time to grasp. Then the meaning flashed upon him. By a great effort he regained complete consciousness. Mind alone seemed to be left him. His body was dead. Was he, then, really to be prevented from keeping his promise to Ida? All the suffering of his previous life amassed was nothing to what Waymark endured during the successive quarters of this hour. His brain burned. His eyes had no power to gather the growing daylight. That one name was his single perception, the sound of it uttered incessantly in thought alone seemed to keep him conscious. He could feel something slightly warm on his cheeks, but did not know that it was the streaming of tears from his darkened eyes. Then he lost consciousness once more. The clock struck eight. End of chapter 28